Hi, good evening everybody. I'm going to do something a little bit different to previous weeks this evening, which is um, something that will be a little bit more like a, a drosha, um, a, more of an in-depth idea from the parasha than uh, a few votlach. Hopefully you'll, you'll feed back to me what, uh, what resonates better with you. All right, so we're going to be dealing with uh, the question of why Miriam didn't merit to get into the land of Israel. And it's a, it's, it's a difficult question, largely because everybody else sort of makes sense. So when you, when you look at the story and the idea that she was just old and died of old age doesn't sort of fly with someone who is as, uh, as well-known and as righteous as Miriam. So with regards to Moshe and Aaron, we'll read about why they don't get into the, parish, into the land of Israel this week as a result of uh, the, whatever it is, the sin that they did regarding um, the, uh, the waters of Meriva, they hit the rock, they were supposed to speak to the rock, or they called people rebels, or they got angry, whatever the case might be. But everybody else seems that uh, should have gone into the land of Israel. So if we go back to uh, last week's parasha, uh, two weeks ago, when we talk about Shlach, that the spies go in, they come back, 10 give a bad report, 2 give a positive report. Hashem says no one's going to get into the land of Israel except for Kalev and Yehoshua. Those two of the positive spies, they'll get into the land of Israel. But what doesn't come is that there's a certain implication, not really only then, there'll actually be other people who get into the land of Israel. So who are those? So we say those were, according to Rashi, the Levim get into the land of Israel, according to um, clearly Moshe and Aaron at that stage were getting into the land of Israel. So when you say that no one else is getting into the land of Israel, we say that the majority of people won't get into the land of Israel. So had we go back to Parshat Shlach, we say, well, what's the status of Miriam? Is Miriam going to get into the land of Israel? She's not going to get into the land of Israel. So... If you'd asked me at that stage, I thought, well, surely Miriam's going to get into the land of Israel. I mean, this is Miriam we're talking about. If Moshe and Aaron are going to go, surely Miriam will as well. But yet we see in this week's parasha, and you see it over here on the source sheet. And Miriam died there and was buried. So I'm using uh, some cool little tricks over here. So why did she die? And buried. So Rashi says as follows. Why is the section narrating the death of Miriam placed immediately after the section the treating of the red heifer, the, the, uh, the paraduma? To suggest the following comparison. What is the purpose of sacrifices? They affect atonement. So too the death of the righteous affects atonement. So this is something that uh, when you hear it for the first time sounds, sounds rather Christian. The idea that people died for other people's sins. But in essence, uh, that seems to be what Rashi is suggesting over here, that the death of Miriam atoned for, you know, the atonement for the nation. Same with sacrifices atoned for the nation. We've just read about sacrifice and then talks about the death of Miriam. So Miriam's death atoned for the nation. Um, I think there are other ways of reading that Rashi, but that seems to be the simple way of reading Rashi. So it seems that Miriam died not necessarily because of the sin of the spies, but rather as, a, as an atonement. She died for the sins of the generation. Okay. So that's one way of looking at it. Um, I'd like to suggest something uh, completely different, um, which is something that, I suppose, ties a whole bunch of different ideas together, and hopefully uh, this idea will resonate with you. So when you say that, so the, the whole source of this uh, little story is the fact that Miriam dies um, for some unknown reason. She's buried there, there's no more water, and that's where Moshe and Aaron hit hit the rock instead of speaking to the rock. Now the question, just to come back, is where else do we see Miriam in the Chumash? 
So if we go through the, the whole uh, the Chumash from the first time we met Miriam, um, the first time we see her mentioned, at least according to Chazal, is she is one of the midwives in Egypt, called Shifra and Pua, where Yochevet, Moshe's mother, and Moshe's sister Miriam, who were the, the Jewish midwives. The second time we see her is actually that uh, Miriam is a... That Miriam is a um, a real uh, figure that she she places her brother's basket into the she also Yochevet places the basket into the river, but Miriam watches over him, and when uh, Batia or Bitia Paro's daughter takes her out of the water, it is Miriam that goes over and says, "Can I get a wet nurse to uh, to nurse him?" And she does. So Miriam is very involved from the beginning. The next time we see Miriam, she's very quiet from that point in time. But the next time we see her is immediately after Shiratayam. So we come through the splitting of the sea, and Moshe is, uh, sings, well, B'nai Yisrael sing the song of the sea. And immediately afterwards, there's another extra few verses where it says that Miriam took a drum in her hands, and she's saying, So over there, she's called Miriam Hanavi'ah. It's a very, we don't see Aaron Hanavi is spoken that way. We are told that Aaron will be the Navi of Moshe. But we never see um, anyone called a Navi in that way as Miriam the Navi'ah. So Miriam is already becomes this, uh, this uh, figure who, um, who's able to, she has, she's clearly of an enormous stature. Then where there's this enormous silence that, that goes from Pashat, uh, this is Pashat Bashalach, all the way to Pashat Bahalotacha. So that has, that I bring over here in our second uh, source here. From Baalotcha. Vetidaber Miriam va Aaron, Bomoshea, Odota Isha Kushita Shilakach, Isha Kushit Lakach. So Miriam spoke, Miriam and Aaron spoke about Moshe regarding the Kushite woman that Moshe had taken because he had married a Kushite woman. Now, a little bit of background to this. It's interesting that uh, over here it's not entirely clear what exactly she was speaking about, although she says, has the Lord spoken to Moshe only? Has he not spoken through us as well? So whatever it is that she's saying, it's, it's along the lines that Moshe has, Hashem has not only spoken to Moshe, he's spoken to us as well. So the way Rashi understands this, and I will paraphrase this, is that um, Miriam and Aaron were standing, well, so Miriam was standing around when these two new prophets, Eldad and Medad, started prophesying. And Miriam was standing at that point next to Tsipora, Moshe's wife. And when they heard that there were these new prophets, Tsipora said to Miriam, Oh, Nebach, these poor women, because they are going to have to separate from their husbands as my husband Moshe has separated from me. To which Miriam says, what are you talking about? So she goes to Aaron and she says to Aaron, do you know that Moshe has separated from his wife? That doesn't make sense. God speaks to me. God speaks to you. We haven't had to separate from our spouses. Why on earth did Moshe? And that's how Rashi understands this. Hashem didn't only speak to Moshe. He spoke to all of us. So why does Moshe think he's special? So Hashem answers over there and says, and he's quite, um, I don't want to say aggressive, but quite firm. Says that Hashem comes. He says, Hashem pitoma Moshe Miriam He comes to the three of them. Says, "Go out of the tent," and he comes down in a cloud. He says, "Be'yom Shimonai Devarai." Now, the word this this term Shimonai Devarai is the, the the closest thing is like when he ever got in trouble with the headmaster. Is now listen to me. Listen to what I'm saying very clearly. That's exactly what Hashem says. Listen to me. 
You should know when you hear prophecy, it's a vision or it's a dream. But when I speak to Moshe, it's a whole different kettle of fish. It is when I speak to Moshe, it is I speak to him mouth to mouth. Miriam has the impression that Moshe is a prophet and she's a prophet. And therefore, whatever applies to her applies to Moshe and vice versa. And since they're both prophets, the law should be the same. Hashem comes back and says, no. Yes, it may be true that you are a prophet in a sense that you have communication with, with God. But it is definitely not true in the sense that your communication with Hashem is the same as Moshe's communication. Moshe has one kind of relationship with Hashem, which is far surpasses anything that you have. And therefore, Moshe's life is completely different to, uh, to your life. And you have to appreciate that uh, that is very different. And therefore, what applies to Moshe does not apply to you. So we see over there that uh, this, this crime, she, she gets punished for this crime. She becomes a tzarat. It says, um, sorry, I seem to have skipped something here. What did I do there? Sorry. Well, I'll just have to paraphrase it. Okay, sorry, I must have skipped a few lines down. So the, that she gets afflicted with tzarat and she suffers this terrible uh, uh, bodily affliction. But that seems to be the end of it. Aaron says to Moshe, um, just please don't kill Narafan. And so he says, you know, don't allow our sister to be like a mate, like a dead person. And Hashem goes, to, uh, Moshe goes to Hashem and says, Kel Narafan Allah, which should be quite familiar from uh, Yidid Nefesh on Friday night. He says, Kel please Hashem, Rafan Allah, heal her. So that's exactly what happens. So that's Miriam's sin. And that's the uh, last time we see Miriam until she passes away. So the trajectory is Miriam is Moisa Nefesh. She, she sacrifices and prepares to jeopardize herself enormously in order to, to uh, ensure her brother's well-being. She there sings the song of the sea as the Nevi'ah. And then we see her again with uh, speaking negatively about Moshe and her passing. The Midrashim bring one additional story, which is not too dissimilar, to, at least in, in, in um, content, to what happens over here with, um, with Moshe, speaking about Moshe. And that is at the beginning of Sefer Shmot. Hashem comes to, uh, it says, the Yelech Ish Mi Beit Levi. There was a man who went from the house of Levi, the Kach Et. Uh, but Levi, and he took a daughter of Levi, and this is Amran getting married to Yochevet, and he gives, um, and he has a child. So Rashi picks up on this whole thing, that he went and had marriage with her. What does it mean now? We already know, and they give birth to a son, and the son's Moshe. We already know that Moshe has two older siblings between Aaron and Miriam. So what does it mean that he went and got married? So it says that the story happened is that when Pharaoh put this decree on Bnei Yisrael that all the sons would be thrown into the river, so Amram, who was one of the leaders of the Jewish community, Moshe's father said, ah, if, you know, what's, the, what's the point of having children? They're all going to be killed. So he separated from his wife and following in his footsteps, all of the men separate from their wives. To which Miriam comes over to her father and says, you're worse than Paro. That Paro only had a gezerah, a decree on the, on the boys. You've created a decree on the boys and the girls. And Amram, to his credit, says, you're 100% right. And he remarries Zipporah. Okay, that's the story there. But we see Miriam there is really this, this justice, this, uh, I don't call it social justice, but someone who really stands up for something immoral and unrighteous that she sees. So this is a woman who can only be defined as an unbelievable heroine uh, 
in, in throughout the Jewish history and throughout the Chumash. So why doesn't she get into the land of Israel? So, so to that end, it resonates quite well, this idea that Rashi is bringing over here, that she had no sin. Tachlis says she died for the sins of the generation, to atone for the generation. Okay. So I'd like to take a different angle. So this is going to come a little bit out of left field. But at the end of, Sefer, uh, end of Pasha Pashalach, we read of um, the attack of Amalek. So it says, Amalek And Amalek came and waged war with Bnei Israel and Rifidim. Go wage war, says Yoshua, go wage war with Amalek. I'll go into the mountain. So he goes, he wages war Amalek. Moshe goes, he puts his hands up, and his hands up. He's, uh, the Bnei Israel are victorious. When they're down, they are losing. And Moshe gets very tired. So then it comes, this is the end of the Parsha. You should write this in a, uh, in a book, a uh, memorial. That we should surely destroy the memory of Amalek for under heaven. And he said, and he built an altar there, and he says, there will be a war at, with Amalek for generations. Amalek is the quintessential evil uh, nation in, in, in the Jewish uh, literature from this point onwards. Amalek is the worst of the worst. So what on earth did Amalek do that warrants them uh, so bad? So you read it over here, it doesn't seem, you know, doesn't sound like they did anything, you know, terribly awful. So, you know, why did they warrant such a terrible um, punishment? So I will, give me two secs, I will go to the second time where we see this mitzvah. So we see right at the end of Pasha Ki say. So yeah. Oh, I'll get here. Sorry. You should remember that which Amalek did to you when you left Egypt. They were undeterred by fear of God. He surprised in the march when you were famished and weary and cut down all your stragglers in the rear. So the way that Pasuk seems to say it over here, that the real sin of Amalek was that they, they attacked the most vulnerable. And that's seemingly what it says over here. But Rashi, on a, earlier, says something quite different. And I've just, like, uh, sillily just um, cut that out. Um, give me, go back to that original Rashi. So look what it says with regards to Yavor Amalek Berufidim. So it so tries to understand what uh, Amalek. So it's here, a parable. No, not the parable, wrong. Well, so. Sorry, you know what? It's, the rush is in the wrong place. It's the wrong rush I'm looking at. It's, apologies. Let me get to the other Rashi. So look what, so when it says, when it says that, that happened upon you on the way. So look what Rashi says here. The word karcha, asher karcha bederech, that sort of came upon you in the, um, in the wilderness, it means a sudden happening. He 
came by us with a surprise. Another explanation is connected to the meaning of the term carry, nocturne. Okay. Then the last words here. Yes, another explanation is that it connected to the meaning of the word kor. That, that when Amalek came, is kashikarcha baderech. So you just see that, uh, let me just sit over there. Ashikarcha baderech. So, so what does that mean? So look what Rashi says, that you came from cold. Cold, it means he made you cold and lukewarm after the boiling heat you had before. So you were hot when you came out of Mitzrayim and Amalek made you cold. What does that mean? For all the nations were afraid to war against you. And this one came and began to point out the way to others. And he brings a parable, a marshal. It may be compared to a boiling hot bath to which no living creature could descend. A good for nothing came and sprang down into it. Although he scolded himself, he made it appear cold to others. So Rashi, the original Hebrew, sounds slightly different to that, but I'll, I'll, I'll paraphrase that. I can switch off the screen, 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 screen. What happens with Amalek and why they become so harsh? You see, what does it mean? Is, is that when we come out of Mitzrayim, we've just gone through 10 plagues. We've just gone through splitting of the sea. The man is falling for us. We are untouchable. The nations of the world are absolutely petrified of our presence. What happens with Amalek? Amalek say, we're going to go fight them. We're going to go challenge them. So what's the problem with that? Is that they made us who were up until that point untouchable, they made us touchable. So, so the mashal that Rashi brings, this is like a hot bath. So it's a very, very hot bath. No one can get into it. It's too scalding. But one guy comes. He says, you know, I'm too well. This bath needs to be given into. Someone's got to get into the bath. I'm going to get it. He jumps into the bath. He gets burnt, but he cools the water so that other people can come in. Until Amalek came along, the idea of people attacking Bnei Israel was not, a, not an idea. Just, it just it could never have happened. So what? So beforehand, you know, people were petrified of us. But now we're going to see. So we've had Amalek. In this week's parish, we're going to have Sichon and Og. We're going to have Ammon and Moab and Edom. All these different countries that feel that they can challenge us. Despite the fact that we've had all these divine miracles around us, they can challenge us. Why? Because of Amalek. And that is, um, you know, something that you, you, you see, you know, throughout mythology and the like. We just need to see that the people that this individual bleeds to know that they're human and they can die too. So too, as soon as we can find a chink in the Jewish armor, we know that it will allow other people the opportunity to bring them down. So up until Miriam's story with Aaron, Moshe was quote unquote untouchable. Moshe was the prophet of Hashem. Nothing had happened up until that point in time that suggested for even a, a, a millisecond that Moshe was anything else other than the bona fide um, messenger of Hashem. So people came, they had complaints against Hashem, but they never had complaints against Moshe. Moshe was the faithful shepherd and they all had complete commitment and belief in Moshe. And that goes throughout, you know, throughout Shemot, throughout Vayikra and into Bamidbar. But by the end of Bamidbar, for the first time we see someone challenging Moshe. And that's Miriam. Miriam comes and says, Moshe is making stuff up. He's a prophet, we are prophets, and he thinks that he, can, he needs to do things that we don't do. Who does he think he is? He's making stuff up. All of a sudden we have a challenge 
to the, the integrity of the leadership of Moshe. So Moshe Shamirin gets punished for that. But the question is, what are the ramifications? Not, you know, there's the, there's the sin and the punishment for the sin, but what are the ramifications of the sin? So you see with regards to Miriam, so Miriam, she gets afflicted with Tzarat. And the very next parasha, what happens? People come to Moshe and say, send spies, we need spies, go to the land. They come back. Moshe said, it's a wonderful land. The spies say, it's not a wonderful land. The people believe the spies. They don't believe Moshe anymore. Last week's parasha was Korach. Korach is, Korach and, and his 250 guys and Datsun Avir, what do they want to do? They want to depose Moshe as a leader. He's not fit for leadership. We should have other people in leadership. So all of a sudden, over the last two weeks, since Miriam's sin, we have a new kind of conflict that comes in B'nai Israel. What is that conflict? It's that all of a sudden we have people challenging the integrity and leadership of Moshe. And that's why Miriam doesn't get into Eretz Israel. It's because she let, uh, she let the cat out of the so Not really let the cat out of the bag, but she was the one who started the ball rolling with regards to challenging Moshe and uh, bringing his integrity into question. So if you look at it in that way, is that what was Miriam's sin? So her sin per se wasn't that terrible, but it opened up, you know, it, it, it opened up that Pandora's box. That's probably what I was looking for. Of now, if like Amalek, when they attack us, it gives permission and ability for everybody else to have the confidence to attack us. Up until Miriam came, no one had the audacity to challenge Moshe and his, and his leadership. But when Miriam does, all of a sudden it goes from bad to worse, leading so much so that Moshe doesn't get to take the people into the land. So that's my uh, my chiddush. Um, I'd like to think it's mine. It's uh, it's I've I think I've definitely developed from lots of places and possibly heard it somewhere before and forgotten that I've heard it. But I do think it's quite a a, a novel approach. I like it. I hope you like it too. Uh, happy to take any questions. Otherwise, um, yeah. Have a good Shabbos, everyone.